0: Welcome to Talk with the Texan, Money and Life with Troy Eckert. This program is thought-provoking, informative, entertaining, and down to business. We face facts and ideas about how to make, protect, and build your net worth. You'll get over three decades of frontline experiences and real-life examples of what to do and the pitfalls to avoid. Now, here's Troy Eckert.
1: Hey, 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 everyone. Thank you for joining me for today's show. Again, this is Troy Eckert. This show is Talk with the Texan Money and Life. You know, every week, from week to week, I think about what's going on in the world. And I think to myself, what is anybody that is going to listen to this show thinking about? And what do they expect to see from the show? Now, I've had a lot of listeners call me, contact me, email me, and they're saying things like, Love what you're doing, love the energy, love the uh, the in-depth thought process keep up the idea of how to match money and income and net worth along with how to balance it with life. Now, remember, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a warm and fuzzy guy that wants to have you sit on a couch and think about how life should be. Really, what it boils down for me is is that I'm trying to take uh, an experience of a lifetime working with high net worth investors my entire career, working with individuals that are, for the most part, all self-made millionaires, those that have won significant amounts of capital in their work and their effort, others who have lost lost and won multiple times, those have been rich and poor, rich and poor, rich and poor as they try to figure out the balance of their career. But most importantly, in getting to know these individuals, it's always been really about learning and listening and observing. And I like to think that I'm one of those kind of people that can sit in a parking lot outside of a grocery store and I can probably tell you by the person walking out, the way they walk, what they're dressed, how they look, they by themselves, they with somebody else. And then the game I used to play is how to match that person walking out of the store with the car and the vehicle they're going to get into and a little bit about their life. So the advantage is, and, and what's interesting is I got ready for today's show. I thought to myself, you know, it's not easy to be successful. And I don't mean just an effort. It's not easy to be successful because it comes with a general characteristic that is very difficult for those who are successful. Now, I can tell you, I I consider myself successful. I consider myself having done very, very well in my life. It has not come easy. I've had a lot of significant wins and a lot of significant losses. I made great decisions. I made not so great decisions. But there is a common thread that I see in people who are generally successful. And the common thread we're going to talk about today, and it is about money and life. And this is going to be more leaning toward the life side, but tied back to money. So today's show is all about being rich and why it is so complicated. Let's talk about that. So when I grew up as a kid, um, essentially, I hung around a bunch of ragtag guys. We all played sports. We played football. Uh, We grew up in deep South Texas in the Rio Grande Valley down along the Mexican border. Uh, in that area at the time, back in the '80s, it was predominantly about uh, eighty to eighty five percent Hispanic and about fifteen percent white or other. We were the minority um, didn 't know any different didn 't care have tremendous friendships with uh, Mexican Americans and those friends that I went to school with. Uh, have known many of them for forty plus years. But in that time and at that particular era in my life, you know one of the comments I used to make as a kid is you know when you 're so poor, that the economy doesn't bother you because there's really nowhere to fall, that's not a bad place to be because there's not really much worse than what you're living with, which is not necessarily true, true poverty, but you're at the very bottom of the economic rung. And so we would find things to do. I mean, things that cost nothing. We would go to the canal and fish for catfish. We would do campfires. We would go down to the beach. We'd all pull our money together and take one car and pile in the back of a truck, put lawn chairs, and we'd head out to the beach and hang all day. And so, we, there was just literally hundreds and hundreds of things to do to keep us busy, to talk about life, to enjoy the things we had, and it didn't cost a dime. Now, you fast forward that 40 plus years, and you think about, it, now what do you want to do? Well, I don't want to go to the beach because, you know, I you want to get sandy and dirty, and you, you just change your perspective of what used to be a tremendously good time versus how you are in life today. Now, that's not for everybody. Some people still enjoy the same things they did when they were a kid, but If you've kind of traveled a path or you intend on traveling on a path of success, you probably find yourself in a whole different place today than when you were when you were in your teens or when you were in your 20s. It's just a different perspective. So being rich is complicated, but it's complicated for multiple reasons. And what I want to do is talk to you, the listener today, about things that I want you to think about. So first and foremost, let's just get to the, I'm always about the final chapter, and then I'll backfill it with all the the meat of the book. In this case, the final chapter is what? If you got told that you had 24 hours to live and you had to write down answers to questions about your life, you might be shocked at what your answers are if you could even answer them at all. And I think about this a lot because unfortunately, I've had literally hundreds of my prior investors have known me for years have come into my life and have passed away. I mean, I'm talking some of them, I've had 20, 30 years as partners. I've had individuals that were you know, barely a millionaire and I've had clients that have been worth you know, 500 million to a billion dollars. And what I found is at the end of the day, there wasn't a lot of difference between the person, maybe the net worth, but the people with a close proximity of characteristics had a lot of the same kind of characteristics. And that is the following. It seems like wealthy, successful people are eccentric. I'm not talking like bat crazy, I'm talking about they're eccentric in that they have certain ways they like things. They are very specific about the things they do and don't like. They have certain characteristics about the way they live their life, the way they deal with their family, the way they deal with their politics, the way they deal with pretty much every component of their life. I mean, some are OCD off the wall, obsessive compulsive. I mean, if it's not a T-cross and a I dotted man, it it, it puts them in a spin. Others are are virtual hoarders and and darn near on the uh, potential being pure slobs. I mean, some of them will come to my conference, they'll be in the same outfit, shirt and pants and clothes, three, four days in a row and never change their clothes, the same outfit, yet they're worth several million dollars. And you think, how don't you think about going and purchasing two or three sets of clothes, don't you care what people think? And the answer is, no, I don't. The answer is, if you really got the truth out of them is, no, I just don't. I don't care. I have other things that are important to me, but that's not one of them. In this case, I want to think, and I want to get the audience to think, I want you, my listeners, to think, do we have a generational responsibility? So the first part of today's show is generational responsibility. Now, what, what prompted me to have this show is, I was in church yesterday, and I, I just love our preacher. It's it's uh, First Baptist Church of Wiley, Texas, and, and uh, the preacher does a fantastic job. Very hard to keep my attention. I see a lot of people in the faith ministry, pretty fake and fraud. This guy's top of the line, top of his class. I mean, just, man, he he gets it. He knows it. He's speaking from the heart. But what I got in the last sermon was I got the following. We have a responsibility to figure out what our purpose is here on planet earth. Now, this isn't some deep spiritual show. This is about what are you doing? I mean, at the end of the day, let's say you generate enough in income or assets that the truth is, even if you spent so much money every year for the next 20 years, you couldn't spend it all. So now it starts to beg to differ. What are you doing this for? What is your generational responsibility? Are you trying to generate enough net worth so you can say, I was the wealthiest, most successful guy in my graduating class in high school or college. Uh, I was the most successful member of my family. Um, I'm more successful than my brother or my sister. Um, I was the most successful guy in my engineering class or my business class. I don't know what each individual's accolades are, but with that generational responsibility comes, what are you really trying to accomplish? So is this about leaving a lifelong legacy to your children or is it about leaving your spouse uh, enough assets that they're taken care of, and then that trickle-down effect your your kids comes out of that spousal uh, inheritance? Or is it about uh, maybe things like philanthropic things, like giving to a university or a medical facility or a particular cause? So each one of us have things that are important to us. And what's funny about that is that the things that are important to successful people usually are very, very important. And the other things that are not important really are like water off a duck's back, just they don't care. I find after dealing with hundreds and hundreds of high net worth investors over the last 36 years, that many of them are more interested in being treated as, considered as, and known as good people, patriotic individuals who stand up for the right, stand up for the weak. I mean, believe it or not, as much money as they have, they want to be known as somebody with character, where their handshake means more than a contract, where what they do counts for something. And I have found very, very few, very few. I've run across a few shysters. I've run across a bunch of egotistical maniacs that, that invest, and you quickly get rid of them as your clients, or you realize they're just dirtbags to start with. But overall, 95%, of the clients that I've enjoyed working with, the investors I've come across, those individuals that are successful, that have really taken on a opportunity to do something with their life, make their life and their kids and their family's life better. I find the common characteristic for them is my handshake is better than a contract. My word means everything. It's more about my honor than anything else. You know, my dad told me when he was dying of cancer back in 1994, he said, You know, buddy, I want to give you a little information. Actually, it was the latter part of 1993 because it was about three months before he died. And he said, Let me give you a little example. He said, You know, you have a very articulate way of speaking, you have a very convincing voice. You carry a lot of power in the way you speak. Don't abuse it. Your word and what you say and what you do means more than anything you'll ever do in life because once you ruin your word or ruin your name, you never get it back. You might repair some damage to it. You might mitigate or reduce what you've done if you've done something wrong, but you'll never ever get back the quality of your name, the integrity of your name, what it means, and that your handshake means more than any written contract. And I was like, man, that's, it was very powerful because this was not a very successful man. My, my, my father was my adopted dad. He was not a very successful man from the standpoint of, you know, cash in the bank. Massively successful as a father and as somebody who provided for his family. But when it comes to the way the world views success, which is, you know, are you rich, successful, do you own a business, blah, blah, blah. He was not that. He was just a great dad. And when he said that to me, I thought about it very carefully and I've always thought about that comment virtually in all of my business dealings. I've thought about when I speak and who I'm talking to, it must be articulate, it must be honest and transparent, it must be fair. And it definitely has to be something that I'm telling the truth and I, I'm willing to stand behind. Because if I don't, then the very advice my father gave me as he was dying of cancer becomes absolutely worthless advice and it dishonors his name. May not mean a lot to a lot of people, it meant a whole lot to me because my dad was six, two, two eighty and I've had a couple of his knuckle sandwiches before. So I thought, man, I better, I better do this right. He might come back and get after me. So the question is, you know, for you today is when you think about, you know, uh, talk with the text and money and life. Um, the reason why how you live your life ties to money is I see this all the time in business. So I had a friend of mine stop by last week. I've known him for, gosh, 25 years. We kind of became pretty good friends over the last five or six or seven years. I've known each other for quite a while, but really started to get to know the person behind that business relationship. And I got to tell you, this guy's fantastic. I mean, I, I, you, know, you just get around certain people, and you just know that every ounce of who they are is about happiness and pleasure, and they walk around with a nice Christian faith, and it's not a facade. It's real. They're, they're genuinely just somebody you want great things to happen to. And this guy's a little bit older than me. He's in his uh, late 60s. Uh, he's been working on a big project for about three or four years, and he's waited really his whole career to see something like this opportunity fall in his lap cuz man he's paid his dues he's he's worked hard he's been a faithful employee he's been faithful to his business partners but just never quite hit that ball over the fence and he comes in last week and he says I did it we sold that big asset I got paid what I was due now I'm finally in the position of being able to enjoy things now on one hand it's negative cuz he's in his late 60s so it's like you know you're almost getting pretty old where it's tough to do some of those things you want to do. But at the same time, man, I could not have been happier. So, he called me, said, hey, I want to stop by your office, catch up with you. I'm on my way back to where I'm going and seeing my wife. And I just want to, you know, just see, I've seen you in a couple of years and I want to sit down and just shoot the BS with you. Said, so, great. So, he comes to my office last week. We sit down and he starts telling me that he closed the asset, sold it, made the family a ton of money. He was the trustee fiduciary over the account his biggest excitement was that he made so much money for the family, did such a great job managing and and then he was amply rewarded. Now, why am I giving you this little story? Because here's what I did. I did what most people don't do. Instead of brushing it off or listening to it and just, yeah, okay, great. Congratulations. Sounds good. I, I literally stopped him. I looked at him and I said, man, I could not be happier for you. I could not be more excited about you finally seeing the rewards of your hard work, your faithfulness, your trust, your handshakes better than a contract, the character who you are resulted in this success. And that success has resulted in taking care of you, your wife, your kids, your grandkids, because now you're going to leave things to them that secure their financial security. And they'll always look back and say, you know, our dad, our grandfather worked hard, stayed at it, was consistent, never gave up, always had an upper chin. And as a result of being that positive influence, was successful and able to providing financial security that would probably go two or three generations deep. Now, that's massive. I mean, that's massive. So, I took the time to tell him that and he didn't say anything, but I could see almost had tears in his eyes. I could see just somebody saying that to him probably meant more to him hearing those words than the compensation and the, and the value of, of the money he made on that transaction and put in his bank the words out of a friend and a peer and somebody's known for two and a half three decades to say that meant more than anything and that goes back to what i want each of you to think about today making money is great but once you've made a certain amount of money and once you've done a certain amount of financial planning and you feel like you kind of got that you've got that little safety net underneath you that's where most millionaires and billionaires and successful people begin to get bored or they start going crazy and they start doing things they shouldn't do and they start thinking about things that they're never happy. I mean, I don't know if you know it or not, but man, I, most, a lot of the, the millionaires I know are cranky. They're sourpusses. They almost look depressed. And you're like, how could you be depressed? Your life is so good. You, you can buy anything you want. You take trips, you travel, you have houses, you you've you got everything by the tail. Why do you not seem so happy? But it makes sense because the problem with being successful is that you're always looking for the next high. You're looking for the next success. And I've had to learn this in my own career. I've had to learn this in my own life. I had to figure out that, you know, you don't always have to be climbing the next hill, the next mountain. Sometimes you can take a breath. Sometimes you can realize you've hit a plateau and that maybe the point in your life is really worthwhile. So let's talk about like the, the perfect plan, like, you know, for my listeners out there. And by the way, don't forget, you can always call into the show at 866-472-5790, or you can always give me an email at Troy at talkwithatexan.com. Now, the reason I say that is I love messages, I love emails, I love phone calls, just you know, give me a shout, I'd be more than glad to answer your questions or, or, or you know, reiterate anything I've said during the show. But that number is there always for you to call and that, that text or email is always there for you to email. But let's talk about a perfect plan. What is a perfect plan? The perfect plan is what? How do you see, this is a good question, how do you see when you pass away the best use of the money and assets you've left to your loved ones or left to your charity, whatever? Because I think when you get mega wealthy and you've got a billion dollars and you leave 50 million here, 20 million there, you got to know they're going to pilfer it and waste it and overpay people, and there's going to be every sticky finger in the world into it. You're hoping that some part of that money you contribute is going to go where it's supposed to go. You're hoping that you know your spouse doesn't marry some you know uh, psycho that tries to come after the money and, and do stupid things. You're, you're hoping that your kids don't go out and waste it in three or four or five years. and I, I've seen that. I have seen, wealthy partners of mine pass away and just watch their kids lose 70, 80, 90% of the money because they either are wasteful, it's free money, they didn't have to work for it. More importantly, they just don't know what to do. They never were educated or taught how to actually invest money. They just got along for their free ride. The parents didn't want them to have to work for a living. And so when they finally inherit the money, they're like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm dealing with a client like that right now. I mean, literally when I talked to him, he asked me questions that are almost economics one-on-one fundamentals when it comes to investing and he has no clue. He doesn't even know what he's talking about. His dad was an incredibly successful investor for over 40 years, and to listen to his son speak, I'm thinking, you not only didn't pay attention, just by natural absorption, you didn't get any of it, and yet you've inherited this big pile of money. The best thing you can do is not invest. You need to go give it to a financial planner in a big bank or a big institution, let them manage your money, and just sit back and thank your lucky stars because you have no clue what you're doing. So, what is your perfect plan? First thing I got to ask is, how do you see the best use of your money and your assets? Or do you have a specific plan or you just don't care? And I got a little side to us. If you don't care, then stop trying to make money. I mean, what's your goal? Is your goal to get to a certain financial level? I'm worth 10 million. I think I can be worth 15 million when I die. I want to, you know, quadruple my net worth by the time I'm 70. (coughs) This is all about, you know, what your own personal goals are. I don't know that. You'll have to figure that out on your own. I kind of have in my own mind what I'm trying to do. And I have a what I call a finite end goal, and I'm now trimming off the edges and narrowing that path because at my age, at 57, I'm really thinking about what I want to leave to my kids, my grandkids, my spouse, and what I want to leave them, not only in the way of money and assets, but also in the way of a legacy of learning. This has nothing to do with my ego. It has to do with a legacy of teaching them how to be prudent with the things they're given, how to be uh, a philanthropist, how to be generous, how to be a good business person, how to make those tough decisions, how to pick a side in the fight, you know, whether it's a political fight, whether it's a religious fight, just picking a side based on something that has core values. How do you want your hard work to be used? Do you want somebody to take, let's say you're a, a, a Steve jobs and you, you created Apple and you're saying, you know, what do I want my legacy? I mean, I've heard horrible things about the guy that he was just a terrible person that he just was so hard driving and just showed no mercy I'm thinking, well, that may be true, but how many millionaires has he created? What, 50,000, 100,000 millionaires, billionaires as a result of everything he's done for Apple? Well, you know, I don't really know very many Super Bowl coaches that people just love. They love to hate them. They love them when they win, if you are are, are a fan of that team. But if you go back and ask the players that played for him, the assistant managers, the the, uh, equipment crews, and all the people associated with the organization, say, man, that guy was a maniac, hard-driving son of a gun. you did not want to cross him on his bad side. But when they take that championship Super Bowl ring home, they're like, he's the greatest guy that ever walked on the planet Earth, right? There is kind of a correlation between success and how you think about things. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of really passive, easygoing, successful people. Maybe they created some software. Maybe they're a land developer. They're out doing things on their own. There's not a 100% trademark. But I can tell you, when I think about the clients I'm around, whether you're a dentist, doctor, engineer, or manufacturer, whoever you are, there's a certain degree of complete um, uniqueness to your personality. And part of that is you don't know how to slow down because you know, when everybody else lets off the gas pedal, that's the time for you to push forward because it's less crowded highway. And that extra effort is the difference between being an employee or a mediocre success to being truly successful by knowing how to really hit the accelerator when everybody else is trying to pull back. Okay. The other thing is, is that, you know, if you had to sit down and this was your last 24 hours, are you trying to impress somebody? Is there somebody that you're thinking, what I'm doing is really not just for me? I mean, I think I'm successful. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. I, am I successful? I just, my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, my kids, my wife, <clears throat> is somebody go out there going to think, man, if they could just reach this next plateau, I would really think they're successful? Or is it more about um, some other organization, your college engineering, your alumni? I don't know. But to be truthful with you, I don't think you need to look outside anywhere for anybody to impress because the fact is, to me, the only measurement of success is the satisfaction I get internally knowing that what I did today was what I wanted to do at the level I wanted to do it and I reached the goals I set for myself. The only competition I believe I have in my life is myself. And as long as I compete with myself and I'm successfully doing what I want to do, I go home every night feeling satisfied, but that's not the case. I've watched many, many successful individuals that look like they're darn near miserable, All right, What if you asked you to list your three accomplishments? Okay, so what's your three things you've done in your life that are phenomenal accomplishments? Well, you're gonna get the same. Well, my marriage, well, I've got my kids, I've got my grandkids, you know, and then you start saying, okay, now the feel good stuff's gone. It may truly be your kids and grandkids and spouse. Don't, I'm not taking away from that. But it also may be about, What have you done that you can look back over your career, your life, and say, I never thought I would do X, but I did it. And that was a big accomplishment. I was watching a documentary on a guy, and he had made this invention. Invention is still around today, and it literally saves tens of thousands of lives. It was a medical invention. I look at that, I go, no matter how much money he made, no matter what his success in his life is, he got to take his last breath knowing he, he left the world a better place. He, he created and invented something that made him super wealthy. But what he also did was he changed the medical world based on the device he created. And I think, man, now that is an accomplishment to leave the world. And it's not about your software. It's not about being Elon Musk and having a, you know, a $400, million, $400 billion net worth, whatever his net worth is this hour. It was about when he leaves that instrument still saves tens of thousands of lives every year, and he created it. Now, that, to me, is just off the chart cool. The next item is, what does it take for you to get satisfied? So it's like being really, really hungry, you know? And one of the things I want you to think about as we move into a break is that certain attributes or characteristics of successful people are about their own perception of what it looks like to be a winner. A winner, not in the world's eyes, but in your eyes. Now, you may say, I want to be a winner in the world's eyes, but the truth of the matter is it's really important to know what do you want, what do you need to make you a winner? Because all the money in the world is not going to help you if you haven't reached that that peak of what you perceive as being a winner in life, both personally or in business, as a result of your own perception. I see a lot of very wealthy people, absolutely miserable, and they feel like they are just worthless. They've never done anything in their life. Maybe they'd be worth 50, 100 million dollars. And you'd think they were worth a dollar and they just robbed a bank. So as we get ready to come to the back half of the hour, I want you to keep up a couple of things. This is Troy Eckert. It's Talk with the it's Money in Life. My show is about very spe- specific, detailed things. Today's show is about why being rich is complicated. I'll see you in the back half of the hour. Thanks. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.
0: This is Talk with a Texan, money and life. To reach Troy Eckert or his guest on the live program, we invite you to call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to Troy at talkwithatexan.com. Now back to the show.
1: Hey, Hey, hey. thanks for joining me for the second half of the show. Let's get right into it. So as many of you know, on the first half of the show, I was talking about what it takes to be wealthy, what it takes to be successful, and some of those uh, terminal issues are internal issues that you have to deal with. And so the show today is talking about the fact that being rich is quite complicated. And I think one of the things I want to make sure that we all know is that everybody's definition of rich is different. Uh, There's wealthy, there's rich, right? So rich is... um, different than wealthy in my view. You know, when, I'm, when you say somebody's wealthy, uh, that means they have the amount of money to do things they want to do. My version of rich is that your money makes you enough money, you never have to work again. In other words, if I want to make a million dollars a year in income, maybe I need 10 or 20, 30 million dollars in assets generating me a decent rate of return to generate that million dollars a year. So that's really rich. When you're really rich, you're not worried about a job, you're not worried about an occupation, your money makes you enough money. Why does that even matter? Well, it doesn't matter. What matters is is the life you live. Is your life rich? Whether you're rich or not, is your life rich? I I know a lot of people that come across my path. I've known friends for life. Man, they were teachers. They were very simple people. They were engineers at large companies. They did their, their tour duty for 30 years. They retired and man, they're just happy campers. They have a nice retirement and they're traveling. They got a travel trailer. They're going to their retirement home. They're doing whatever. And they're just happy, happy, happy. Here I am at my age, 57, still cranking and working, but I don't see what I do as working. I see this as just fun. I'm I'm having a blast at my age working with wealthy investors and just putting things together and enjoying life. So there is a true definition of wealthy and rich. And I just want to say to you as my audience, you might start asking yourself what your definition of rich is. What's your definition of wealthy? You're wealthy enough to have vacations and do things and buy new things and et cetera. That's great. And Rich, do you really have enough money to generate the income you want for the lifestyle you want? That's something you should think about. And then you ought to ask yourself the question, does it matter? Does it really, really matter? You be, remember, in my line of work, I have had thousands of clients that I've run across and had as my own investors that were what they call high net worth investors, a million dollar net worth, not counting home and furnishings and above. That's the SEC kind of definition, right? And the, the answer is, I have met just thousands and thousands of millionaires and there's always that common theme. Seems like half are miserable. The other 25% out of the 100% are in constant flux. They're either happy or sad or mad or panicked or worried or they're scared to death. And maybe, maybe 25% seem truly, truly happy. And that, that's probably too large, It's probably more like 15%. In fact, I know a guy that when I met him about 15 years ago, his net worth was about $110 million. Now it's about $350 million. And man, he is—he's to me, every time I see him, he looks like one of the most miserable guys I've ever met. I've never seen him with one of his friends. Every time I see him, he's alone. He's got three or four people walking around, waiting on him, giving him food and making him feel like he's super wealthy. He sits on his big yacht and I look at him and I go, you are the most miserable guy I know and I don't care if you're net worth $100 million or $400 million. I don't think you're happy and I don't think you have a lot of depth to yourself or your friendship. So, Yeah, that is not what I want. I don't care how much money you have. I like my life much, much better. And I'm not even worth a fraction of what you are relative to to financial assets or capital. But that is what it is. So let's talk about ways you might want to be measuring your life's success. Now, again, we're going to take into consideration is my wife, my my kids, my grandkids, my church. I understand those things are super important. I'm not downplaying at all. But let's talk about some of those things relative to what you see as measuring your own life success. Remember, money is one thing, okay? But the show is money and life. If you want to have money and life, then they have to be in balance. Otherwise, I just call the show money. In this case, I don't call it life because then I'd be like a counselor. I'd be like a preacher or something. That's not it. What I'm getting at for you and I today is we're talking about things like the following. Have you or should you write your own epitaph? And if you did, what would it say? Here lies Troy W. Ecker, talked with a Texan, spent his whole life talking to other people, never spent time with his kids, never spent time with his wife. In fact, his family is totally in disarray and they don't talk, they're not together. Or is it, you know, Troy had a great life, saw all the place in the world, traveled, made a ton of money, but he never stopped to even think about maybe the, the poor person that was in his neighborhood that really had a, a real need for some guidance and some mentoring. It wasn't about money. It was just about, just let me know I'm alive. I don't know what's going to be written on my epitaph. I kind of think it's gonna be somewhere in a combination of, here lies Troy. The guy never sat still. He was an avid, avid reader, knows a lot about a lot, uh, talked really well, talked all the time. And that's why it's called Talk with the Texan. And the fact is, loved, loved, loved creating new ideas and new things and new ventures and just was passionate about everything he did. That'd be a fair epitaph. We'll leave out some of the negative parts of it. There wouldn't be enough stone to type that in there, right? Okay, now the other one is, who's going to attend your funeral? I have a joke I say all the time. I say, look, the older you get and the more money you make, the less friends and family you have. To me, it's a direct correlation. I look at my clients, look at my investors, look at my friends, and it, it is the truth. The more you get older, the less friends you have and less family hangs around you and especially the more money you make, the less friends and less family. I, I got clients who haven't talked to their sons in 10, 20 years. I've got clients who are completely disengaged from pretty much any kind of social life. They don't join country clubs to hang by themselves. And that's, that's maybe just the people that I attract because that's kind of like I am. But the truth is, you ask yourself, uh, you know, who's going to attend your funeral? I say, yeah, look, here's the way I look at. It. If I'm happy with my life and my family and my wife and my grandkids and kids, the truth is I can call one 800 rent a pallbearer, bearer and I'll get six people to carry my big butt because I just don't care. And the truth is, if that's what you feel and that's what you think, which is the way I am, then I don't need a hundred friends. I, I, I have acquaintances. I have business people. I do have some friends. But at the end of the day, my funeral will always be about those who want to be there to either make sure I'm dead truly because they don't like me or maybe they want to be there to help me wrap up the final part of my participation here on Planet Earth. Um Did you have a chance to make peace with your maker, right? I don't know. I don't know what religion you are. I don't know whether you uh, have a religion with Allah or Jesus Christ or or some other religion. The truth is, you may be completely agnostic or atheist. I don't know. But the truth is, we all are going to get to the point one day of taking our last breath. And the question you might ask yourself is, are you going to be afraid? Are you going to feel satisfied? Are you going to feel short of your goal? And I mean, I, obviously, there's accidents and car accidents, so you never know when it's going to happen. But the truth is, if you were told today you had 24 hours, could you honestly look yourself in the mirror and go, yeah, I'm ready. I've done everything I wanted to do. I've said everything is everything mean, everything nice. I've spent all the money I want to spend. Yeah, It sucks that my life's getting cut short by, by the next 24 hours, but I, I'm okay. I'm good. I, I can walk out the door, pass on to wherever there is, or just straighten the grave and sit there and let worms eat on me. I'm fine. That's something that you should balance in your life between money and life. And then the other question is, what would you do differently today? Everybody talks about, oh, don't live life with regrets. That's BS. I can tell you a hundred business deals I'd love to go back and undo and unwind. I can tell you about a hundred crooks and criminals and liars and scumbags that I hired as employees that I had as ex-employees or ex-clients that were unscrupulous characters. I can tell you about a hundred stupid things you do when you're young and dumb and don't have a brain in your head. And so if you, so you say, no, you don't live life with regrets, well, heck yeah, there's regrets. You look back and go, man, if I'd have known then what I know today, where would I be, right? Personally, I would have just loaded up on like uh, uh, Tesla, Tesla stock. I'd have been rocking and rolling, right? You don't have those luxuries of going back. So what you have to do is realize, you know, the rear view mirror is about two and a half inches top to bottom and about eight inches wide. And the front windshield is about, you know, four feet wide by two and a half feet in length from top to bottom. I'm looking forward, not back. I can't change the water under the bridge. What I can do, and this is where talk with the Texan comes in, I can live life optimistically knowing I can go forward, even if I've had a horrendous life up until right now, this minute, when this show is being heard by you, today, you can change your life and you can do something different. I'm talking financially, start a business, work harder, pay off debt, think about what you want in life, go after that challenge. Don't procrastinate on the things that are going to make you great, make you really feel alive because they're there for you if you'll get off your tail and do it. But don't act like a whiner and go, well, I would have, could have, that's BS. Today is a clean slate, especially living in the great United States. Everybody gets a chance. Everybody gets a fresh start. So don't kid yourself. There are felons who come out of jail who end up becoming famous actors and businessmen because they took their lesson they learned it, they went forward. Yeah, it was a big rock on their back but they did it and they did it with the idea of I can do something positive going forward. Now, let's talk about self-satisfaction. Again, I I think I may have said this on a previous show but I'm going to say this again because I want you to hear this. This is just something, I started doing this, I don't know, four or five years ago probably, I I know the first time I started really in earnest, I started it about uh, the month of November. So, it's going into Thanksgiving I had a really good month. I was feeling very, you know, in the holiday mood. My dad died uh, January third. He was had really bad brain cancer, but it was a great two months. I got to spend a lot of time with him. I spent all Thanksgiving evening with him, going through the Bible with him, and and it, even though he's dying, I, I reconciled. He was dying, but it was also a time that life slowed down. I slowed down, and I got to spend a lot of time with my dad. So I don't get sad about the holidays. In fact, I love the holidays. It doesn't bother me that he died during the holidays. It bothers me more that. Um, I didn't get more time with him, but that's only because I enjoyed his company. But here's what I also did. During this little experiment in my own brain, about four months, uh, four years ago, I said, I'm going to go down and get myself about $2,000 out of the bank in $100 bills, 20, 30, $2,000 or $3,000, but all in hundreds. And I'm going to set a goal that every day during the month of November, I'm going to try to find somebody that I think could use that $100 to boost their life. And I'm not talking about looking for the guy with, sitting in the ditch, homeless. I'm not talking about, you know, I'm talking about could have been the guy changing my tire. Maybe he's out there at discount tire, busting his chops, changing tires. He runs over, grabs my keys, goes in. Hey, I'll have you out in 15 minutes. You see him, boom, 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 knocking those tires that comes out. Sorry, I had you tonight in 15 minutes. Have a great weekend. You go, yeah, thanks a lot. Hey, by the way, this is for you. And you hand him a $100 bill and watch their face, watch their reaction, watch the way they respond. I'm telling you, I have never been more shocked and more amazed in my life about anything I do than giving somebody a $100 bill who has no clue they're going to get it. But more importantly is, it's just, it's a larger amount than most people will do from generosity. Most people give a five or a 10 or a 20. And I started doing $100 bills, not because I think I'm some big shot, because I do it most of the time. Nobody even knows I'm doing it. I'll walk back into the restaurant after my family leaves or I'll do it when somebody's gone to the bathroom so they don't see me leaving this money. But I'm telling you, you give somebody a hundred dollars. You give a waitress or a guy at a gas station, or you tip the person behind the counter who happens to have a smile on their face, or you find a, a mom's grocery shop. And I did this two weeks ago. I was in a in a grocery store, and there was a guy behind me. I mean, he was as close to being homeless as I could identify based on clothing and and other attributes of his body. And I looked I looked behind him. He was just trying to get this little bitty uh, piece of food. I don't even know what it's like a like a burrito. And I'm checking out, and I'm doing my groceries. And, and I tell the girl at the counter, I said, do me a favor, hand him this when I leave and just let him know I'm buying his food and whatever else is left is for him. And I hope he has a great weekend. And she goes, really? I go, yeah, just go ahead and hand it to him. I don't even want him to know it's me. Just, just give it to him. So she did that. The reason I'm pointing this out to all of us is that when we listen to a show like this, you might say, yeah, I'm going to change the channel. I'm not going to listen to this. This guy's a, you know, a tree hugger. He's a, he's a, he's a preacher wannabe. The truth of the matter is, let me tell you why it makes a difference to me. It drives my entrepreneurial spirit. I know for a fact in my own walk with life that that God has blessed me beyond my wildest dreams with success in my business because why? Because he knows if he gives me the financial benefits, I'm not stingy. I'm not greedy. I'm not selfish. He knows that when he rewards me, he knows I'm going to be a good steward. And so, what I do is I try to give back to people less fortunate because I was poor as a kid. I didn't have money. I lived in a travel trailer in college with more, with more holes in it than a radiator. When the wind blew outside in January, the inside of my uh, travel trailer, 15-foot travel trailer, the curtains blew. I almost had frostbite on my arm. I couldn't afford the, the butane or the propane to fill up my trailer because it'd run out in four hours. I mean, it was ridiculous. I was that poor. I didn't cry about it Hell, I was in college. I thought I was having a great time. I thought, you know, what a great way to spend uh, the the January weekend watching the curtains blow inside my trailer where I bundled up in my coat. You know, it it was fun. Now I look at it and say to myself, how many other people are in the same position going, God, if somebody would just help me, if somebody would just give me a tip that makes a difference, if somebody would just know I could just need, I need that opportunity, I need that lift up. And I'm challenging you, the listeners on the show, I'm challenging you to know, if you don't have a balance between money and life, if you're not as in tune with life, no matter how much money you make, you're not going to be Elon Musk. You're, you're not going to be Bezos. You're not going to be Zuckerberg. You're not going to be Bill Gates. You're not going uh, to be Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett's 91. You're never going to catch him. And nobody knows who second place is, so stop trying. If you've gotten to a point in your life where you know you have all the money you'll ever need, then maybe you've been successful on the money side. Now you need to start having the life side. And the life side is not about how many golf games you play. The the life side is not about how many countries you go. See, the life side is not about how many cars you buy. That's just part of the money game. That just means you're spending your money on play, play toys and things and, and places and visits. I'm talking the life side is do something in your life that effectively can be a game changer for other people, because that is equally as rewarding as all the success you've had in business. All right. So, Let's talk about millionaires and billionaires because nowadays, you know, a millionaire is good, but you ain't a billionaire. And the billionaires are now deck of billionaires and 100 million, 100 billion dollar millionaire billionaires. And now you've got one guy worth 236 billion. And I'm telling you right now, they're all targeting that trillion dollar market. They want to be the first person on the planet that's worth a trillion dollars. They might be able to pay off, you know, 150th of the US debt when they're a trillionaire, right? The key to the matter is, is that the one thing that's not any different between a billionaire and a millionaire or a guy worth a trillion dollars is the following is when you die, you die just like every broke person out there. You die like every other person on this planet. You die, you're stuck in the ground, you're burned up in a crematory. But when you go, everything you've done, everything you've accumulated means absolutely nothing. Because once you're gone, wait five years, they almost forget who you are, unless you're a famous inventor, right? And then you're going to have history judge you by what you did or didn't do, if you are famous, and they're going to tear your your statues down or whatever the hell they're going to do. The truth of the matter is, Billionaires and millionaires die the same way as everybody else on the planet. The same way my dad died of cancer the same way a billionaire is going to die. The same disease, the same way, there's not a thing they can do. It. They might afford a little better treatment. They might have some experimental drugs. Truth of the matter is they're going to die the same way. So if that's the case, what's going to separate your last breath and my last breath from maybe the last breath you would take today before you listen to the show? Maybe it has to do with life success, right? Maybe it's how you treat others. Maybe it's how you treat the money you're making. Maybe when you run your business, you think, hey, I'm going to make a million dollars in profit this year. Go down your employee list and go, how many of my employees are basically getting paid what that position holds? But man, what would an extra $10,000 bonus mean per employee this Christmas? Say you got 20 employees. You say, I'm going to put $200,000 worth of bonuses out to my 20 employees and give them $10,000 in bonus money this Christmas, you're like, that's a lot of money. Why the hell would I do that? They're doing the job I pay them for. Oh, that's true. You're true. Take the 200,000, put it in your bank. Now you're richer than you were last year. And what you've done is you have been selfish. Yes, selfish. This is a guy that makes a lot of money telling you, you've been selfish in depriving yourself of life's pleasures. And it's selfish in giving them money. They didn't earn it. A bonus or a gift is exactly that. It's what I decide to give you. It's the bonus I want to give you. It's the the, uh, gift I want to give you. But let me tell you, giving of yourself, giving of your success is also a way of giving back to your own soul. You're helping foster in others what you yourself have experienced. Now, whether somebody helped you along the way, you did it yourself, doesn't matter. All I know is I get a massive kick at anonymously giving money away and doing nice things and doing deeds because at the end of the day, you can't take it all with you anyway. So when we talk about money, as we're getting ready to, you know, get to the very last few minutes of the show in the next five or 10 minutes, um, question you should ask yourself are the following, how much money is enough? If you don't have it written down, go figure out how much money is enough. Get a ballpark figure of your net worth today, minus your expenses. Be realistic. If I sold everything I own, I mean, down to my last shorts and shirt that I have on, what's my net worth look like? Okay, now you know what you're worth, okay, in your own mind. How much is enough? Is that enough, or you need twice as much, or three times as much? If you had four times as much as your net worth is today, would, would the, then you be satisfied? Or is what you have today going to make you satisfied? Because let me tell you something, when you get to a monetary point of satisfaction, then you stop thinking about money and things, and you start thinking about quality of time and life. And I think it's incredibly important, because what good does it do? We always focus on making money. And we never enjoy life. I was guilty of that until about three or four years ago. I just, it was never enough. It wasn't about the money in my mind. I thought, no, I got to keep climbing, man. I've been trained like a robot since I was a kid. Go, 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 go. And at some point in time, I go, why, why, why? Why in the hell am I doing this? Now I'm having more fun than I've ever had because I'm not going after the money. I'm going after the life and I am enjoying the heck. I'm enjoying giving away $100 bills. It's My favorite thing for the day is finding somebody I can give a $100 bill to. I love, I mean, I wish I could give you a book about the facial expression and the responses I get from people I give that $100 to. The question is next is why are you making more money? If you have your net worth today and you go, well, it's not enough. Okay, then why is it not enough? Who are you going to give it to? Well, let me tell you what I experienced. Nine out of 10 of the heirs of the people that get the money from clients that I've had, I don't like them they're not nice people. They're selfish. They're shallow. They don't ask about their dad. They don't ask about their mom. They don't seem to do anything with it. They just, they can't wait to figure out how much money do they have? How do I get my hands on it? And they run out and live their own lives. I'm not saying you have to live like your mom and dad. You have to do what they did. But man, there's a complete disparity between the parents and the kids. And I see it time and time and time again. And when I see that 10% that really do know their mom and dad, and they respect them or their parents, and they go, this really is about carrying on what their legacy is of who they were in the character, man, it is so fulfilling for me to see those next generations do that kind of thing. It's really great, right? So, if you're in, if you're, if you're really worried about being known for something, just keep in mind nobody knows who second place is. Nobody knows who was in the Super Bowl last year. Nobody knows who was in the uh, uh, the uh, World Series last year. I mean, other than so, super sports fanatics, I couldn't tell you really who the valedictorian or solidatorian in my class was. I know who the valedictorian was. I kind of know who the, the salutatorian was because I was third. But the truth is, I don't care and I really don't know. So if you think this is a race about notoriety, forget it. Unless you become a, you know, a serial killer or some other crazy or, or you know, a Madoff where you embezzle $16 billion and ruin hundreds of thousands of lives, you know, who cares? But if you want a legitimate legacy to live, live it silently. You know, the greatest thing you can remember is the following. The greatest sign of generosity is anonymity. I was told that by a guy about 20 years ago, and man, it sunk in my head like no tomorrow. He said, the greatest sign of generosity is anonymity. Do something nice for other people, generous, your time, your money, your gifts, whatever, and don't expect a thing back, and don't even care if they say thank you. Just walk away. Who cares, right? So on a sinking ship, who gets the last life raft? What is that supposed to mean? Well, if there were 50 people on on a boat and the boat's sinking, Nobody goes around and says, uh, except for the movie Titanic, uh, the first class go to the left and everybody else goes to the right. No, it doesn't work that way, okay? You would like to think that your success and your money and your wealth and your position in life, I'm a doctor, a physician, I'm this, I'm that, gives you some kind of place on that life raft and the answer is no, it doesn't. It's about protocol and etiquette. It's about generosity and sharing. It's about who's going to survive. There's a thousand things that will go into who gets in those life rafts if there's only enough for half the people or a third of the people. And the truth of the matter is you need to think about that in life. I go to see my mother in the nursing home and I see a lot of empty rooms and I see a lot of older people in there. And I, I'm sure they all have loved ones that come and see them. But let me tell you something. When you look at that entire nursing home, they all look the same. They're weak, they're decrepit, they're old, they're aging, they have dementia, they have different health issues. And they're waiting desperately for the person or persons that love them and know them in their medical condition, wondering, have I been a good person that somebody will want to even know I'm still alive? Now, some of you mean SOBs or SOBs females out there say, I don't care if anybody ever comes and sees me. Oh, yes, you do. You can play as hard as you want. The truth of the matter is, there's nothing lonelier in life when you stop the way you're living and realize you've done nothing for anyone else, and therefore, You are going to be the direct result of how you led your life. You're an a-hole. People are going to see you that way, right? Let's talk about the last couple of things. And the last couple of things I want to talk about on today's show is pretty much a bucket list. Um, You know, I've been asked that my whole life. Hey, Troy, what's in your bucket list? I'm like, "Mm, I don't know. I don't think I have a bucket. I think I have a wagon. I want to fill it to the brim with experiences and sunsets. I, I want to live life about cleaning up the slate, fixing the relationships, that are worth fixing that I wanna fix before I take my last breath. Um, I wanna play a little safer. I don't take as much risk as I used to. Why? Well, it hurts more when I I fall. I don't bounce like I used to. It's about me deciding who I wanna spend my time with. I'm incredibly picky about my time. Why? I'm mathematical. I figure I'm 57, I'm gonna be 60 here in three years, I'm gonna be 70 in 13 years. I only have 13 more Christmases, I only have 13 more 4th of July, so I'm gonna be real picky who I'm with. So today's reality check is simple. If you're wealthy and you have assets, you're in the number one position bullseye of everyone wanting your money and your assets from the IRS to the federal government to your family and friends because everybody's trying to figure out how they can get a leg up on life and they can do it by gathering assets or money. Um, If you're in that 1% bracket of income, if you make over $100,000 a year, you're on everybody's list because the rest of the world sees you as successful. So when you come to my show, talk with the text and money in life, and you talk about money in life, you must have a balance. Think about a scale. Too much focus on money, you destroy your personal life. Too much money focus on your personal life, you're probably never going to be successful. Very, very, very few, minus those you see in the media that are the multi billionaires, ever find that true balance where they have so much money they only enjoy life. Right. So as I leave you today, I want you to either email me, I want you to call me, I want you just to know as I let you depart today. Make sure your life is balanced. Make it with all your gusto because you only get one round in this rodeo. And the clock doesn't stop at eight seconds. The clock stops when you decide to get off or you get called home. This is Troy Eckert. I am Talk with the Texan, Money and Life. And thank you for joining me today.
0: Thanks to all our incredible friends for joining Troy for today's show. Talk with the Texan, Money and Life. Please join your host, Troy Eckert, for another edition of the program every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow Troy, engage him, challenge him, but most importantly, listen to him. Three decades of expertise at your disposal. We'll see you here next week.